portion of our services, or of the service tonight. All right, well, if you would, please, let's open our Bibles again together to Mark, and we're going to Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter 10. As we continue studying through uh, this gospel record, there's there's one thing as we look through and study through a number of these chapters that surely uh, stands out in my mind and in my heart. And that is that God's plan, God's answer for all matters of life and faith are far, far superior to anything that mankind can contrive. Amen? Amen? Now, I suppose, and I, you know, I, I know that that's really kind of a, well, yeah, kind of a statement that God's more superior than man. And maybe it's even a, well, duh, I don't know, if that's maybe is the way you think about it. But then, if it's such a, well, yeah, kind of a statement, then why do we so often try to find ways of making the scriptures fit into our thoughts and reasonings rather than finding ways to abandon our own thoughts and our ways and by a simpler, purer faith take God at his word and reach for his higher thoughts and ways. Read along with me. We're going to go ahead and read our text here tonight. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse number 13. Once you find your way there. Verse number 13, the Bible here records, And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. Verse 17 says, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come Take up the cross and follow me. And verse 22 says, And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Now last week, we saw Jesus dealing with the Pharisees as they tried to use a question that was, well, it really was not for the purpose of understanding God and growing their own faith in God. But rather, their question was intended to stir up the multitudes emotionally in hopes of Jesus saying something that the Pharisees could hold against him and make themselves look superior. 
As we saw it turn out, though, Jesus rather spoke the simple truth of God in love while holding accountability to those who had hardened their hearts against God. And, and you know, that is really, that is something that we must always remember. Everything that we do, everything that we say will be reckoned before God as he will hold accountability where it belongs. Excuse me. I don't need those things flying everywhere. He will, God will hold accountability where it belongs. Now, as we step into this passage that we've just read, Jesus addresses, uh, let's see, he addresses, well, it's not so much a foundational truth to build upon or to build our own faith upon, but rather he addresses different aspects or character traits or realities, if you will, of faith itself. And I believe that we can see three things addressed in our source text that I trust God will help us to understand and maybe even glean some application into our own lives. Having already read our text, as we've just mentioned, and as we pray in just a moment, won't each of us ask the Lord to help guide us and grant wisdom and knowledge and understanding as we look at three things. A faith rebuked, a faith rewarded, and a faith revealed. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we look to this message tonight, three realities of faith. God, I would ask that your Holy Spirit would fill me, but also, Father, fill each and every one that is here tonight, each and every one that might hear this over the live stream. Father, each and every one that is hearing your word in their respective churches tonight. God, may the Holy Spirit of God just so fill us, Lord, that all of the distractions are taken away. Father, that your spirit can speak to our hearts in ways that perhaps he has not been able to yet. But God, won't you impart unto us the understanding that there are some realities of this thing that we call faith, and there are some realities in how we deal with faith. And so, Father, won't you help us tonight, open our hearts, open our minds and our ears, and Lord, may Jesus Christ be exalted tonight. May your word abound here tonight. And may we leave here, Father, rejoicing in what we have in Christ. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So three things. First, looking at faith rebuked. The first thing we see in this passage concerning faith is that when we demonstrate our faith outwardly, and, and when I say that, I don't mean that we're demonstrating our faith by being belligerent or disrespectful of others in any way, but simply putting action to our faith, making it alive, as it were, according to James uh, chapter 2 and verse 20, which reads, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? In other words, if we're going to have a faith, it ought to be alive, and it ought to cause us to do things in faith for the Lord. So when we demonstrate our faith outwardly, when we live our faith, I'm probably not going to be the first one to let you know that there will be opposition. There will be 
opposition to us demonstrating our faith. Sometimes, maybe we expect it because those who oppose us or those who oppose the demonstration of our faith don't live by any kind of faith. Certainly, not faith in God. But rather, they might claim to live by reason and by logic. That's how I live my life, is by logic. And oh, I live by science. <laughs> all right, we'll just leave that alone because uh, we all understand that that may or may not mean anything. But you see, there's those that don't live by faith, but they use these other terms, they use these other means to guide their lives. So those who live out their faith are, according to some, completely unreasonable. And they need to be silenced, or they need to be educated, or at least need to be rebuked. Other times, when we are demonstrating and living out our faith actively, it may prove quite surprising and, frankly, rather appalling when the opposition and the rebuke that we face comes from those who proclaim to live themselves by faith. And that's what we see in our first verse. Look again at verse number 13 with us. And they, that's, that's parents or nurses or that's the people, they brought young children to Jesus that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked them. Oh my. The disciples who claimed to live by faith in the very person of Jesus Christ rebuked others for bringing their children to Jesus. Now I suppose that these disciples had some modicum of good intentions in that perhaps they thought that young children would be noisy and distracting and disruptive of Jesus while he was teaching. And yet their reaction really was misguided, given that often the very multitudes of people that Jesus was preaching and teaching were certainly not quiet and orderly. I remember on at least one occasion we've studied it in the Gospel of Mark how they couldn't hardly walk for the press of the multitudes. That's not quiet and orderly. And they were adults. So the disciples, their, their reaction was somewhat misguided. Now, somehow, though, because these were young children being brought, oh, well, that's, that we can't have that. That's just going to be utter chaos. The disciples seemingly had the notion that Christ the Savior shouldn't be bothered by these little ones that couldn't understand anyway. And they chided the parents or the caretakers for being so forward in their actions. They were, by faith, bringing their children to be blessed by the Master, by the Savior. Now Jesus did indeed respond to the situation, but I think that he responded in a very different manner than what the disciples expected. Look with me at verse, four, uh, verse number 14, the very first part of that. But when Jesus saw it, he was 
much displeased. Oh my, Christians. Oh, the Bible shares with us that we need to be very careful in how we interact and respond to others, especially when it comes to matters of faith. But moreover, because we are called to be representatives of Christ. We're called to be ambassadors for and reflections of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Now, yes, we are indeed prone to react. Anybody here ever have a knee-jerk reaction? (laughs) We are indeed prone to react very quickly sometimes, as these disciples were. But seeing how, in our scriptures, how that kind of thoughtless reaction displeased the Savior, part of our own prayer, part of our own preparation for each day and for each circumstance ought to include a petition to have the kindness of grace toward others that Jesus has for us. Anybody experience the grace of the Lord? When we didn't deserve it, wasn't that the very definition of grace? You see, God has such grace for us when we are so disruptive in our behavior sometimes. Oh, that we would pray that God would give us that kind of grace toward others, just as we see here in the Scriptures. Well, Jesus goes on in verse 14. Again, it says, but when Jesus saw how the disciples had rebuked these, when he saw it, he was much displeased, and he said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Now, two things jump out at me about this statement. One, he says, Suffer. What in the world does that mean? Suffer the little children to come unto me. What does that mean? Well, it has the idea of making a concerted, thought-driven effort. Do all you can, in other words, to encourage the kind of pure and unhindered faith that they're demonstrating. We have to encourage that. Their pure faith, as simple as it may be, and to do so without qualification. Well, yeah, you can come to the Lord, but you've got to be quiet. That's qualifying. That's, that's, there's no place for that. Jesus said, suffer. Make a concerted effort. Pay attention and allow them to come unto me. And secondly, in Jesus' statement, the second thing that jumps out to me is this phrase, for of such is the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus said... That it is that very kind of purity of faith that embodies and really is comprised in all of the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God, meaning that he reigns supreme. And it ought to be a very pure and simple faith that we see in God's kingdom. Are we not part of God's kingdom? then we ought to be able to see that kind of simple and pure faith in God. God's got this. Okay, I just borrowed that from a new Bible study from Paul Chapel out there in the West Coast. But, uh, the, the, but the phrase is right. God is in control. 
God knows what's happening in every one of our lives. He knows the trials that we're facing. He knows the trials that others are facing when they come. So God knows. All we ought to do is to reflect the grace of Jesus Christ and the grace of God and welcome and be encouraging to that simple and pure faith. The disciples, they were not so encouraging in this moment. So a faith rebuked, may we not be ones to rebuke a simple faith. Secondly tonight, a faith rewarded. Faith rewarded. So as Jesus continues in this passage to exhort and to teach, he says in verse 15 of our text, look with me. He says, verily, that's truly, I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. Well, that seems like an odd phrase for the Lord to say, because aren't we supposed to grow in our faith? We're supposed to mature? We're supposed to add to our faith? All these things? Yes, of course we are. But the very foundation, the very fundamental truth is that whosoever will not receive the kingdom of God as a little child. In other words, in purity and simplistic faith. Here again, Jesus refers to this kingdom of God. And the word kingdom is translated from the Greek basileia, which means royalty. It means supreme rule or reign of God. And that's the reign of God in our life. He says here that whosoever shall not receive that simple, true, pure reign of God in their life as a little child might, or as mentioned just a moment ago with a pure and unhindered and undefiled faith, just as a little child would cling to and run to and know exactly who their father and mother is and has absolute trust in them. If we're not going to accept the kingdom of God into our life, this reign of God into our life, like that little child might... He says, without that purity of faith to accept Christ as our Savior, to be reconciled to the holy and just God, Jesus said that that soul that does not shall not enter into the kingdom of God. But the one who does, oh, the reward, the reward of such a simple and pure faith to be a part of, of the kingdom of God. This is the first reward. Uh, the, fir- the very first reward of this faith then is access into the kingdom of God. And that, friends, is eternal. And it won't end. The second reward we find in verse number 16. Look with me in your, in your book. In your Bible, in the Gospel of Mark, it says in verse 16, He took them up in His arms and put His hands on them and He blessed them. That's the little children. That's the ones who have come in pure faith looking for a touch from the Master. You see, when we come to Jesus throughout our lives, whether for salvation or for wisdom or for guidance or for healing or for comfort, if we continue to look to Jesus for every need and in every need, the precept here is that Jesus will encompass us. He will take us up in his arms. He will wrap his love around us. And he will bless us. He'll help us. He'll keep us. 
even when we're in the midst of some terrible trial of life, and it certainly doesn't feel like Jesus is there, if we will look to Christ, we can know that Jesus, in fact, is there, walking right along with us, sustaining us all the way through. God knows. God loves us. God's desire is to bless us. Aren't we told that? Don't we know that from Scripture in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11? Can anybody recite that? Jeremiah 29 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. God's desire is to bless us and to keep us and to keep us in perfect peace. Now it does need to be said that while we must always maintain that purity of faith as of a little child, we also know, as I just mentioned, that God expects that we do grow in our faith. Second Peter 2, 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. And in 2 Peter 1 and verse 5, he says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and temperance, and patience, and godliness, and brotherly kindness, and charity. He says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are to grow. We're to add to our faith indeed. God expects that. But in that growth, we also must be very careful not to lose the purity of the trust and the faith in God. We must continue to grow because the Bible tells us that our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So as Paul wrote to the Ephesians, God wants us to be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. It's going to take courage. It's going to take strength. It's going to take maturity in Christ. And it's going to take purity of faith without qualification. Purity of faith as of a little child to know that God is the answer to all of life's challenges and trials. Faith rewarded. Thirdly tonight, a faith revealed. Now we're all well familiar with the balance of our text, and we've already read it once. So as we review the scripture going through this last point, I believe that we can understand a couple of precepts that can help keep us on the right growth path in our own faith. Now, in the end of this account, this young ruler's true character of his faith was indeed revealed. Now, as we study through it, however, ask the Lord to reveal to us in our own hearts what might be the true character of our faith. God, help me to see where is my faith and what is the true character of my faith. Verse 17 in our text says, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now clearly this young ruler, this, this one that came running, 
And we know of his positional identity. We know that he was a young ruler from the records that are contained in the other Gospels of Matthew and Luke. But this young ruler, we know he clearly has gained some understanding that this man, Jesus, has authority. He has authority, especially in spiritual matters. And it has caused some measure of faith in this young man to seek out Christ. When he knew where Christ was, the Bible tells us that he came running and immediately kneeled before him in reverence to ask him about eternal life. Now the other thing that I think about this, clearly any information that this young man had previously from any other religious leader or from any other teaching has proven wanting and insufficient because he came to the Lord and said what shall I do what can I do to inherit eternal life so Jesus then in his response first of all he directs the young man's attention away from himself as a man Jesus walked on the earth fully human just as we are and in his response He directed the young man's attention away from himself as a man. And by so doing, he also directed this young ruler's thoughts away from any other religious leader on earth. And he points him to the spiritual nature of what good is and where it can be found. He says, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. See, he directs him away from mankind. The Bible tells us that we are not to put our confidence in man because man's going to fail us. Jesus never fails. God never fails. There is none good but one. That is God, Jesus said. But then Jesus goes on to highlight what we would maybe consider the basic tenets of the law of God, commonly understood as the law of Moses, the religious patriarch. And this is what the, the religious leaders should have been or would have been teaching. He says in verse 19, Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. And honor thy father and mother. Some of the most basic commandments of God's law. So while this young ruler had the faith to know that there is an eternal life to be had, it was an incomplete, or he had an immature faith. There was still something missing that he wanted to find out. You know, as I was thinking about this, I thought, would to God, and oh, that that more professing Christians would come to that same realization that this young man had and seek to grow and mature in their faith. Unfortunately, too many are way, way too content living one day to the next. And as long as nothing terrible happens, they'll just let it be. They'll just keep on going. They'll just wake up. They'll do the day. They'll go to bed. They'll wake up. They'll do the day. They'll go to bed. And just keep letting it be. As long as nothing terrible happens, I don't need to do any more. I I know that I've got my faith and that's all I need. But that's not what we're called to do, friends. Maybe the thought is there's no sense in 
stirring up conflict and making others think that I'm some kind of a religious wingnut. Because if I'm going to demonstrate my faith, oh man, you know what they're going to say about me at work? Should you care? <laughs> you ought to care that they're not seeing Jesus Christ being put on display. That's what we ought to care about. We ought to care that those that are lost are not going to see our testimony and they're not going to hear the warning that we as watchmen are to be proliferating, that we're supposed to be speaking out. Well, let's see what happened. As this young man sought for assurance from the Lord. Look with me at verses 21 and 22. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Now that phrase, beholding him. Jesus looked at him, he beheld him, he understood what was in this young man's heart. He understood where he was coming from. He understood the questions that were being asked. He understood that this young man needed some correction. And the Bible says that he loved him. He spoke the truth in love to this young man. It, it's one thing that, you know, if you want to uh, deride somebody and you, you, want, you want to correct them by, by hammering on them and saying, you're wrong and here's the right thing. That's, that's the wrong way to approach it. The right way is to that, you know... Can I share with you what's the, what the truth is? Here's the truth. And that's what Jesus did. He beheld him and he loved him, the Bible says, and he said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, and give to the poor. Then, uh, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. Now I wonder if this young ruler... If he thought that maybe because he said in verse 20, he answered and said to them, Master, all these things I have observed from my youth. The commandments. The letter of the law. I wonder if he thought that Jesus would just give him a pass and say, Oh, you've done all those things? Then you're good to go, my friend. Maybe that's what he was hoping for. He's looking for an assurance and say, Yeah, I'm doing a good job. Yay me. But that's not what Jesus said. Maybe he was hoping that he would get a pass since he had done all the right things. Well, turn over with me for just a moment. Hold your finger here. We're going to be right back. But turn with me to Galatians chapter 2 for a minute. Because I think we need to see this in black and white, as it were. Galatians chapter 2. And find your way to verse number 16. The Bible tells us here in Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is, oh, not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. Oh, so in other words, the Bible is saying that just doing all the right things doesn't really help us. I think that's what this young man was hoping for. You're okay because you've done all the right things, but the Bible says no. No flesh should be justified by the works of the law. This man, this young man clearly didn't understand like he thought he did. 
He didn't understand his own faith and where he was spiritually speaking like he thought he understood. But Jesus, knowing this man's heart, gave him specific deeds to do, specific things to do for this young man to do that spoke directly to the fact that his faith was hindered by his possessions. When the Lord answered his prayer, as it were, what did the Bible say in verse 22? He was sad at that saying, and he went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Oh, he went to the Lord. He prayed and said, Lord, what must I do? Because I've been doing all these right things, so am I good to go? And the Lord said, no. Your faith is being hindered by all that you have. Whatever you are hanging on to, whatever you're hanging your faith on, is causing problems for you. Oh. Now perhaps our most important question tonight is what are we hanging our faith on? What is it that perhaps is hindering putting our faith into action? The Bible tells us that we are to exercise or to put to work the salvation that we've been given because we accepted Christ as our Savior through faith. And that we can find in Philippians 2 and verse 12. So maybe the question is, are we like this young ruler praying for an answer that fits our liking? Was this young ruler actually looking for an answer to say, you're okay? Or was he truly trying to understand, what am I missing? If we are like this young, pre- this young ruler, are we praying for an answer that fits what we want? God, here's my situation, and I'd really like you to answer this prayer this way, because that's easy for me. Or will we sulk and turn away grieved when God reveals to us what our faith is tied to? I don't know that I would say that every single one of us needs to take this verse number 21 and go and sell everything that we have, give it to the poor, and then take up a cross and follow Christ. Now, when I say that, I'm not calling God a liar. The precept is, the principle here is, what is our faith tied to? What has God given you and me to do that I am not doing yet? Because that's hard. And I don't know if I can really trust God with that. Would to God that our faith indeed is found active to seek out God's will like those that brought the young children. They had a faith that said our children need the touch of this man Christ. They need the blessing of God. Let's bring them to be touched and to be blessed by God. Would to God that our faith be found as pure 
as the faith of a young child to simply trust that God knows what he's doing and I don't have to approve of what God asks me to do. Yeah, I don't I'm, no, Nope, not, not doing that, God. I didn't sign up for that. Nope. May our faith be found as pure as that of a little child that we may be indeed blessed. May it not be that we're found wanting like this young ruler that says, I've invested too much in what I have to just let it go in the name of serving God. Let's pray tonight. Father God in heaven, as we've looked at your word, Lord, there are some truths that when your Holy Spirit gets a hold of our hearts, they might be pills that are a little bit hard to swallow. Maybe it is that we are just serving you purely and completely trusting and, and, and letting you work in our lives. And praise God for those that do. But God, I believe that we see reflections of ourselves to some degree, some more than others perhaps, in this young ruler. God, I'd ask that your Holy Spirit would gently, graciously, and yet, without question, help to correct our own paths. That, Father, we might grow in our faith according to your grace and according so that, Father, we can be free from the encumbering of the world, free from the possessions of this world, free to serve you and free to reflect Jesus Christ as you've called us to do. God, help us tonight. May your will be done. And I ask it now in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen.